Securing the matrix. What happens when you give everyone access to the matrix? What if I told you security for DevOps should come before DevSecOps? But wait, you're probably saying, John, isn't that the same thing? I mean, I've built security into my CICD workflow when provisioning resources, so aren't I secure? But, but, but wait, 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 wait a second. Who's securing the tools that you're using to deploy your infrastructure. Just because you trusted developers to secure your environment, are you making sure that the tools you're utilizing are secure themselves? Hi everyone, joining me today is Martez Reed. Director of Technical Marketing at Morpheus Data to talk about security for DevOps and the access that you provide around the automation and tools you're utilizing. But it's not to be confused with DevSecOps. How important is the security around your infrastructure or automation pipeline? Now, before I bring on Martez, how about you hit that like, subscribe, and notification. Joining us for this lively discussion around security for DevOps is Martez Reed. Director of Technical Marketing at Morpheus Data. Martez, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. So Martez, today we're talking about security of DevOps or for DevOps or security of DevOps. But before we get to that, how about you give the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I am Director of Technical Marketing with Morpheus Data. Uh, so I, I handle uh, a bunch of technical things in, in terms of being able to evangelize the product and the platform uh, from writing blogs to, to doing videos to doing webinars. Uh, my background is in traditional operations or system administration. Uh, so I've done help desks, I've done managing Active Directory, I've done uh, managing VMware vSphere, some networking, some storage. Uh, it kind of runs the gamut. Uh, last several years, it's been automation and orchestration. Uh, and so that, that's really been a, a, something that I've really gravitated to and been passionate about. So Martez, it actually sounds like my career starting out in rack and servers to Active Directory to VMware, a man, a man of my own heart or my own stature. <laughs> this is this is pretty cool. So listeners, today we're talking about security for DevOps. Martez, how about you give us a little bit of information? What is security for DevOps? And then I have a question about this DevSecOps and if that's the same thing, but let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a great question. And I think one of the things that's often not talked about from the industry standpoint. Uh, so for me, security for DevOps is the idea of looking at the, the DevOps practices. And so people often associate that with uh, whether it's CICD, automation, uh, scripting, a lot of these, these, these concepts and constructs. But for me, it's thinking about those things with a security lens focused on the actual practice itself. I think it's incredibly important uh, not to be confused with DevSecOps. Let me ask that question. What is the difference? I mean, so I know DevSecOps. And when you and I kind of talked about this as a title, I'm like, well, wait a second. What do you mean? Isn't that the same thing? DevSecOps, I've got SecOps, I've got Ops. I've, there's so many Ops in, in energy. <laughs> What's the difference between DevSecOps and security for DevOps? Yeah, so for me, typically, traditionally, DevSecOps is the idea of people typically refer to as shifting security left in terms of the software development process. 
And so a number of things we're seeing more and more, whether it's the example of infrastructure as code, utilizing things like open policy agent or uh, various other tools from a security aspect. So the, the Terraform aspect is being able to ensure that your Terraform code isn't standing up security groups that are, are wide open to the, the internet is an example of what people are often thinking as DevSecOps or utilizing uh, security scanning from a code perspective for application development. The, the thing for me is taking the, the lens a little, bit, a little bit differently in terms of security for DevOps is there are CI-CD pipelines. What are our ways that are securing the CI-CD pipelines from access control of who has access to be able to access those CI-CD pipelines? Are the, the nodes or the, the VMs or the containers that are underpinning the actual CI-CD process are those secure and attested? Because think as the example of a CI/CD process in which an artifact is being built, it's great that your code specifies exactly what it's supposed to specify, but in many scenarios, the CI/CD pipeline itself is actually handling the creation of that artifact. So imagine one of your CI/CD nodes or your builders has uh, have been essentially attacked and is now compromised. It's now able to inject potentially a code over and above what you specified in your, your Git repository. And so taking that into consideration, there's a whole nother level of understanding that I think as an industry, we have to understand about what are the implications of our automation processes being compromised and essentially being turned against us. So basically what you're saying is this should be the thought first before you do DevSecOps, securing the deployment process and the access to the deployment process while the developers are thinking of the security of the deployment that's happening. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, they can definitely go hand in hand, but I think as an industry, one of the challenges is that the, the notion of DevSecOps has suddenly become the, the end-all be-all. Um, not to say that there aren't some who, who haven't been concerned about access control to CI/CD pipelines, um, access control to, to the actual components that help facilitate the process, but I, I would argue that it's, it's probably more important that you're, you've secured your, your components that actually build the artifact um, before you start to, to delve more into the, the, the standard DevSecOps practices. So I'm very familiar with shifting left, right? And I'm I'm familiar with DevSecOps. How comes I haven't heard or there's not much about security for DevOps? Do this first before you implement this. Access controls before this, before that. Uh, is this something new? Has it been around a while is, or it just doesn't have much visibility? So I would say it just doesn't have much visibility. Uh, I think that a lot of the things are assumed. Uh, as part of, of standard practices that people would facilitate of whether it's ensuring that, okay, if I have a, a production pipeline, making sure that, okay, only two or three people have access to it. Am I doing audit logging or, or auditing on the execution of those pipelines? Have I ensured that, that my infrastructure is secure that helps support it and undergirds it? Um, I think it's one of those things that uh, in certain environments, it's just thought of as a, as a given or it's not done as all, not done at all. And so it becomes a, a potential vulnerable weak point. Um, and one of the things I have to talk about it as well is uh, one of the, the treasure troves that I would say of uh, organizations nowadays, in my opinion, is a developer's laptop. If you think about the, the models and the patterns that DevOps has, has brought along with it in where the application code 
is sitting on the developer's laptop. The infrastructure code is sitting on the developer's laptop. The policy as code in terms of the shifting left is sitting on the developer's laptop. And so the, the thought becomes, while we want to make sure, yes, the, the standard application security processes are being taken uh, advantage of, but also imagining a, a phishing attack. Um, oddly enough, via, let's say, as an example, an open source project that a developer downloads or uses or runs from their laptop now starts to scan the laptop for Git repositories, find some tantalizing Git repositories, now understands the makeup of the application, understands the infrastructure that the application is running on, understands the security controls that are being applied to said application as it passes through the, the CI/CD pipeline and potentially manipulates, example I often bring up is a, an RDS instance. So a, a database running in AWS as a part of the public service and potentially slipping in an IP address that isn't all zeros, isn't publicly available to the world, but is it an address that the, the attacker is able to, to have control over and writes a, a carefully crafted commit message, away it goes. And oftentimes, oh, great. I see the PR, I'm supposed to review it. Looks good. They put a, put a message that said it was for a, a great reason. And now all of a sudden that RDS instance is open up to that attacker to now be able to start to access. Now, that's actually a really good example because what I'm thinking about is this developer, this laptop, right? So they you know, inserted this extra line, another IP address of specific, they put a unique message on why it's needed or required, but they're also identifying vulnerabilities within the infrastructure as code. So now they know ways around that. Rather than trying to hack away at it, they can figure out really what it is and you know, basically limit their time spent trying to you know, access some of those vulnerabilities. And how often did these developers are really looking at the review of this commit? Be like, yeah, it came from me. I pushed it out from my laptop. Oh, I'm, I know what I'm doing. So I sent it out. Oh, this guy knows what he's doing and it's local. Securing the laptop because that's nothing new. Right. I mean, it's it's like one of the you know one on one classes, secure your environment, secure your laptop. But now you have all this stuff locally. But what about all these other tools that are available to developers in the open source? And you mentioned Git is Git the new source, the source of truth for IT ops. And is it secure as we think it is? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really great question. I mean, I, I have that, that debate quite often. Uh, there are those that ha have leaned fully into to GitOps and, and want it to be the, the full source of truth. Um, the, the challenge for me is that it only holds a, a portion of the, the information. And so one of the things that I commonly, commonly talk about is when utilizing whether it's infrastructure as code or, or GitOps style deployments for, for Kubernetes, is that's the desired state. That's, what, that's what's in source control. It's what you want the environment to be. That's not necessarily the reality in terms of, of where a, a CMDB, and that, that becomes a whole nether religious debate in the, in the world of DevOps, is the CMDB dead and no longer useless? Nobody wants ITIL, it's so old and it's outdated. But at the end of the day, where is our source of information to be able to readily see what is the actual state of the environment compared to what's in source control? Git has its place in terms of the desired state. That's what we want it to be. But in reality, what is the actual environment to give us full awareness of what it should be? And 
it also becomes a situation of not to go too philosophical about the possibilities, but if you talk about what are the things that are helping to facilitate the desired state, at the end of the day, if I inject or slide something that, that's slightly malicious that says, you know what, you told me this should be a two, and all of a sudden I say, you know what, I don't want that to be a two, I want that to be a five. And you're thinking that, you know what, my source control says it's a two, and my CI CD pipeline that pushed the code says it's also a two, then everything's right. But I go to the actual system itself and it says five. And I'm trying to figure out how, why doesn't that reconcile properly? And so, in my opinion, the reliance on Git as the source of truth becomes a slippery slope because it doesn't necessarily always match up with reality. Martez, I have a question about CMDB, but before I get to that, a quick moment from our sponsor, Diabolical Coffee, my go-to coffee in the morning to help me get the day started. This is the French roast. Take a look in the description below for a promo code for some devilishly good coffee. Trust me. Smells really good, by the way. I might have to pour a cup. Uh, Martez, I'll have to send you a link because this is really, this is the good stuff. Absolutely. So Martez, CMDB, I have to tell you, when I grew up in the traditional, and I, I sounded a little old here, uh, <laughs> traditional IT environment, CMDB was the way, and it was manually updated. Some things were automatically. But do you have a way or suggestion to dynamically update an environment for CMDB with injunction with DevOps? Because that is constantly changing and always evolving. How do you keep up with it? Yeah, I mean... We've got various hooks from an automation standpoint to, to help populate that. The, the thing for me is what is the desire to ensure that it's updated? Uh, a common example people talk about when going to the cloud is, well, that, that, that instance is ephemeral and it's only lasting for an hour. So why am I updating a, a CMDB? And the example that I've used is in a similar fashion to a, a, a large company, you walk, into, walk, walk through the door, you go to the reception, and oftentimes they have you sign in as this is who I am, this is why I'm here, this is when I, I'm here, and then also when I leave, I sign out. And so in a similar fashion, my, my analogy is you walk into that, that large organization and you don't sign in. You say, you know what, I'm only gonna be here for five minutes. After five minutes, I'm gone. What's the damage that I could cause in that five minutes? And there never be a record of me being there. For me, that's, that's the same, is if we're not having a, a record of things that are going in our environment, and, and granted, I, I get it's, it's much more difficult now with uh, VMs coming and going and, and Kubernetes pods coming and going and, and serverless, but for me, that, that, that ratchets up the security complexity in terms of the possibility of a function or a, a Lambda function running for 15 minutes or, or five seconds that still has access to long-lived workloads, whether it's databases or, or S3 buckets that hold information, that, that doesn't reduce the, the risk just because it's only, only there for five or, or 15 seconds uh, and it makes it more challenging. And so one of the things that, that I've thought about quite a lot is what's the evolution of not so much CMDB in its traditional sense, but how do we start to, to get a better visibility into all the things that are in our environment? Uh, this is the question I would have for most organizations is, of some size, do you have a record of everything that's, that's in your environment? And it's, it's no. And, and that's a scary thing to think about. Before you gave me that analogy, I was on the side of 
why should I put this into my CMDB? I honestly, I'm like, well, it's a waste of time. It's only going to be there mm -hmm. for a few moments. That's a lot of information to update dynamically, constantly. We're retaining all of this information. Now we're going like 100 times fold of just a line item. But with the analogy, it really makes sense is because I think it back into my retail days, you always had vendors sign in. They signed mm -hmm. in, they went and they did their thing. They came and they signed back out. And there was a validation that they were there. They existed in the environment for X amount of time. But the security behind it the really kind of, you know, hits me is that that vendor has access to the environment. That instance, that Lambda function that has access to the environment. So now they could do X. And if you didn't keep track of them, you have no clue on how to troubleshoot or follow the path of events that were taken by that, maybe that instance, that function, or even that vendor, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the, the things that is really scary when we talk, start talking about Kubernetes containerization is, let's say I, I run an example of a website that, that spins up a, a, a Kubernetes pod. And you know what, I decide, you know what, after five minutes, uh, I doesn't do what I want it to do. What has it potentially done to your environment? given the, the complexity of right now that the industry has with trying to, to firewall and secure Kubernetes workloads from the rest of the environment. All too often what happens is, well, Kubernetes cluster just gets stood up and everything in the cluster has access to uh, our systems in the environment. And, and the, the marriage between ephemeral workloads and non-ephemeral workloads is, is the scary part of if that, that pod had access to my Active Directory or, or my database, those things now live on. And if it somehow injected something into a, a long-lived VM or, or whatever it might be, now I, I start to have difficulty tying back to where was that, that, that issue actually introduced? I think that's one of the things that longstanding or enterprise companies have. And I know we're talking about security for DevOps, but you mentioned like the ephemeral stuff, right? The things that are short-lived versus long-lived. I think that's one of the stopping points for some enterprises moving to cloud is because they don't know how to keep track of these assets that are coming and going. And normally they're used to something that's going to live long. Now, switching gears, are there any downsides to the idea of everything as code? Yeah, so it's it's definitely one of the things that it has taken a, a hold of, of everything as code, whether it's infrastructure as code, whether it is policy as code. Everything wants to to be to be codified, um, and it's it's a a great capability on its face. There's a, a number of things that I see from a, a security perspective. Um, one being the the traditional even traditional debate of whether you're a, a GUI user or a CLI user. Uh, CLI users evangelize that point and click administrators are not real administrators. Um, and and the, the challenge that presents for me, which, which lends itself to the as code conversation is as an administrator or a cloud engineer, do I understand what exactly it is that I'm doing? And so that's where, where for me, everything as code starts to create that contention of I start off doing everything in Terraform or everything in CloudFormation or ARM templates, and I work my way back to understanding the actual service itself. And so the problem becomes, I don't necessarily understand all the nuance of the service itself. And oftentimes what I'm, I'm inclined to do is, oh, hey, there's an example here on the internet, there's an example there on the internet, and we know how examples go. Um, they're often, often examples for non-production workloads because there's often another 30 steps 
that are necessary for production workloads that turn into a really, really long blog post or a really, really long video taking you through every single thing that's necessary for production. And, and what we start to get is um, engineers, um, especially those that, that are newer to the space, um, not to diatribe and make myself sound old, like the, the guy that's yelling at the cloud, but oftentimes there's, there aren't those years of experience in operations to understand the, the nuance of networking and, and security uh, to help facilitate and ensure best practices. And so what ends up happening is um, we get scenarios where I'm deploying workloads or deploying infrastructure without a real good sense of how that actually works under the covers and how to secure it. And so I can test that's the value of um, GUIs or, or wizards that can walk you through in the context of what you're trying to do, the best practice way of, of doing something so that I understand, oh, I didn't think about adding that line of code for ensuring that I had S3 bucket encryption or, or these various things that the example that I saw as code didn't show me and I just grabbed that and plopped it in. Hey, listeners. We're talking with Director of Technical Marketing, Martez Reed for Morpheus Data around security for DevOps, not DevSecOps. Martez, I got to put you on the spot. I think I know the answer to this. Uh, CLI or GUI, which one are you? So I do a lot of CLI. I, I actually more and more came around to the idea of GUI. Number one, just from a product productivity standpoint, as I think about it, I mean, at the end of the day, I have nothing to prove in terms of whether I'm a master of the CLI. At the end of the day, my job is to do my job. And so the fastest way for me to do that possible may be the, may be the GUI. And oftentimes after I've walked through the, the GUI a couple of times, understood everything, then I jump to the CLI and start automating. All right, sorry to put you on the spot. You mentioned <laughs> it, but I, I had a feeling you were CLI or predominantly CLI, but you did open up the door to the GUI. All right. So, Martez, what are your thoughts on emphasizing the security of the supply chain or the software supply chain? Yeah, it's definitely one of the, the, the big things that we've seen probably the, the last year or so after the, the solar winds attack and the, the Kaseya attack. Um, and, and it's, it's only going to be more and more relevant. Uh, I think it's a, a great starting point. Uh, similar to the, the the broader security for DevOps conversation, uh, my fear is that it will will become essentially the end all be all. Where our organization says, you know what, we've got secure supply chain, done, everything's everything's solved, and, and you're still leaving yourself vulnerable to scenarios from your your CI CD pipeline, from your from your infrastructure, uh, particularly things like via via GitOps, to so where you're uh, almost in a sense too trusting of the system. And you 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 have blinders on to some of the other things that could potentially actually impact you. GitOps, DevOps, DevSecOps, open source. How you know with all these tools available to you and all these methods, how is security of not only DevOps but all these methods a crucial part for a developer who is doing this stuff locally? So for me, I'm thinking now I have not only one tool or you had a handful of tools when you're on premise, but all those tools lived on premise. Now all these tools live externally. How is it helping or complicating the fact of security for DevOps? Yeah, I would say, unfortunately, in some ways, it, it, it convolutes what organizations are doing. And as a, a practitioner myself, it, it's it's very difficult to keep up with everything. And that's one of the things I, I tell about even from a, a, a 
a conversation standpoint with those that that want others to to be at a certain place. There's a, a lot of things to learn. Take the example of organizations moving to the cloud. A, an engineer might need to know Terraform or infrastructure as code. Configuration management may be using something like Ansible. Needing to understand the cloud, public cloud itself, all the nuance there. Needing to understand CI/CD pipelines and, and all these things. And, and what ends up happening is there's the, the myriad of tools that are composed in various different forms and different fashions. And, and ultimately what happens is we start to, to get to a place where we're actually overwhelmed by all of the, the tools and the capabilities and the functionality. And people will scoff at those that, that have issues with things like securing S3 buckets. Everybody's like, oh, well, there's, there's no reason you should have a, an unsecure S3 bucket. You, you just make sure you don't put information that shouldn't be public in the S3 bucket or make sure it shouldn't be public. And that, that's great in theory. But when we talk about the actual empathy for human beings, the person that did it may have been inundated with 50 different tasks, trying to understand a thousand different things. And unfortunately, path of least resistance was, hey, I just need to share this thing out to somebody and I put it in there. Um, not, not as an excuse, but ultimately we're gonna, we're gonna keep seeing it more and more and more, especially as, as survey after survey after survey talks about a skills gap. And the skills gap isn't going anywhere. We're inundated with more and more technology and people obviously given the pandemic, don't necessarily want to commit their entire lives to sitting in front of the computer, um, let alone trying to, to always keep up with what's new. The skills gap, it's real. I've had so many people on the podcast talking about the skills gap and things that they're improving from not only AWS. Uh, I had your very own CMO, Brad Parks. In fact, everybody take a look up here for the video <laughs> that I did with Brad Parks where we talk about self-leveling and I'll just leave it at that because it's actually a really cool conversation around it. So Martez, last question I have for you before we wrap it up, what is the future of security for DevOps? I mean, we came from you know, infrastructure, on-premise infrastructure. Now we're out there, now everything's out there and we're moving really quick and fast for infrastructure as code. What is the future of security for DevOps? Yeah, for me, it's 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 a bit of a a wish item, but my, my hope is that back to the the CMDB conversation, we start to see movement around that in terms of um, inventory. We're starting to see someone whether it's cloud inventory, but really having a a place to to put that data, and then ultimately starting to be able to mine that data for contextual purposes to be able to quickly understand. Um, Lambda functions that ran, uh, Kubernetes pods that got spun up, access into various tools within our, our pipelines, whether it's the CI CD platform itself, whether it's the, those uh, existing long lived infrastructures, and really starting to understand the map. But the other thing also becomes how can we start to evolve how we manage things to be able to step beyond? our human contextual understanding. And that, that becomes a, a very difficult thing to, I know for me, I wrap my head around was, I can only hold so many things in my head at once from a contextual standpoint. How can I offload that to the, to the machines? Because the, the machines at this moment in time can do things from a processing standpoint much faster than I can um, until our, our human minds really unlock what we can do to, to allow for the innovation to happen from just the growing environment sizes to actually address those. The environments aren't getting smaller. 
they're, they're getting larger and larger and more clouds and, and, and more systems. Uh, so we're, we're, we're in for uh, quite, the, quite the challenge. And it's getting more complex. Not only it's growing, but uh, something you mentioned of really allowing the machines to take it on and help you out. Make sure you put in some automation, but you secure that automation. Martez, anything else you'd like to leave the audience? No, I, the, the thing that I would just leave would be is, is really consider DevOps practices and the security implications that, that come along with it. Because oftentimes uh, the, the DevOps practices are, are holding the keys to the kingdom in, in a lot of environments. Martez, thank you for helping us understand security of and for DevOps. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for joining the show. This is fun, very informative, and I hope to share it with everybody or at least they at least get a little bit out of this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Director of Technical Marketing for <laughs> Morpheus Data, Martez Reed. Martez, thank you so much. Thanks. All right, don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and notify because guess what? We're out of here. <laughs>